couple weeks ago, well, we'd been, I'd been doing on Wednesday nights from the Mike Key's book, Military Mentality. And a few weeks ago, as I was getting ready to do that, and we were going to do the chapter on don't shoot your own wounded, I was just sitting quietly. I'm really good at that. You just can sit and stare into space and I was just sitting there thinking, and I just knew that uh, it was just not quite right. So I was just sitting there waiting on God. And I knew what wasn't quite right was what I wanted to, was thinking about sharing. And so I was just sitting there waiting. I wanted to hear from God. And I kept getting a phrase in my heart. It kept rising up in my heart. And, it was, you know didn't really sound scriptural too much or anything. But the phrase was ebb and flow. And some of you were there that Wednesday night and we talked about ebb and flow. And when we got when I got done, I pretty much knew that I was kind of in the vein right there, kind of in the flow. And then Scott got talking to me afterwards, Scott Hoskinson. And some of you know, some of you don't know, when he was in the he was in the Navy and he was a diver. And I think he went down and looked for bombs in the Persian Gulf War. And so he was interested because he was interested in the wave effect. And so he got talking. So in the last few weeks, I have been reading and studying everything I could find about ebb and flow. And let me give you a few facts, give you a few details. Ebb and flow, as you just hear about it, the phrase. It means to decrease and then increase, as with the tides. It's almost always thought of with the tides, the ebb and the flow, or the flow and the ebb, the flow and the ebb. Um, It means a decrease followed by an increase, a decline before an increase. It means constant fluctuations, The expression ebb and flow alludes to the inward and the outward movement of the ocean ties. A good definition of ebb and flow is a condition of rhythm or alternate forward and backward movement, alternating between decline and renewed advance. Now, some people are going to say, well, that's not really so scriptural because we're always supposed to be moving forward. Lester Summerall, you know, put the garage door on the other side of his garage so he never had to go backward. And I understand that. You say, it's so unfaith to talk about going backward before you're going forward. But let's look at the scripture in Ecclesiastes. Let's start there today. If you have your Bible, if not, I'll just read it to you. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I'm going to start with verse 1 and we're going to go through verse 8. And you've heard this scripture before. I know you have. Just not too far after Proverbs. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Verse 1, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to advance and a time to decline. And if you aren't born again, 
the decline is eternal. If you're born again, the decline is so that you can advance. Okay? So a time to be born, a time to die. A time to plant, decline. A time to harvest or pluck what's been planted, advance. A time to kill, a time to heal. Now, how can that be? Caleb was telling, and, and they were out at a farm, and they were working, and this cat had injured its paw, and it was withering up, and the cat was miserable. So I don't know what they did. It sounded gross. They went over, and they snipped off the leg. And you think, oh, my gosh, how cruel. Then they didn't work there for a week. They went back, and he said, the cat's doing so good. It had to be done. There was a, a time to kill. That leg was dead. It had to be, yeah, it had to be cut off. And we don't think of that sometimes. That decline to heal. A time to break down, a time to build up. A time to weep, a time to laugh. A time to mourn, a time to dance. A time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones. A time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. A time to gain and a time to lose. Lose is a taboo word in our society today. But it says there's a time to gain and a time to lose. A time to throw away, a time to tear. Tear, a time to sow, a time to keep silent, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time of war, and a time of peace. Have you ever surfed? Probably not too many people in here since we're in Nebraska have ever had the opportunity to surf. There's probably a few. I think Jared used to. That's why he wanted to go to Florida because he wanted to surf. I have never surfed, but I have had a couple opportunities to body surf. You know, you go and, and you go out in the ocean as far as you dare and, and you go against the wave and then you catch that wave and it brings you back in. And I really liked it. I, I liked that feeling of that transition right there. And it just kind of throws you, it kind of makes your body weightless and you just catch that. Some people hate that feeling of going out. It's like they're losing control and it's pain. I like it. I like that feeling, but I haven't had very much opportunity, but I, and I'm not an expert, but I know when you do that, you feel the ebb and the flow. That's what you're doing. You're, you're ebbing and you're flowing. And I've been reading everything I can about ebb and flow. Did you know, I didn't ever stop and think about this, but there is an ebb and flow to good art. There's an ebb and flow to music. Because ebb and flow is what makes it visually or sensory interesting. It makes it intellectually stimulating. And it makes it emotionally uplifting. I read that. (laughs) Healthy relationships require an ebb and flow. They're like the seasons, like the tides. Relationships have cycles. There's times of closeness and intimacy, vulnerability, trust, distance. Relationships are a balancing act. And too often if a relationship becomes frustrating frustrating and strained, people panic and they want to end the relationship instead of riding out the ebb and flow. Let me tell you this. Never quit on something or somebody 
because you're in an ab. That I, I don't give much marriage counseling. I don't like to counsel. Yeah. <laughs> Just never stop and quit because you're in an ab. Because that's what happens when you body surf. You don't want to go all the way out because you get that feeling and you start to panic. And that's what happens in too many relationships. Everything isn't going just the way you thought it might, and you start to panic. That's not the time to quit. I, I've talked about these people before. Some of you probably remember, but I had an aunt and an uncle, my dad's oldest brother, Walt and May. And I'm going to tell you again, if you've heard it, you've got to hear more about Walt and May. Walt was the flow. He was a Schmidt. He was hyperactive, nervous, full of energy, never sat still, on the go. He loved to fish. He never fished in one spot for more than 20 minutes, but he caught more fish than anybody I ever know. He'd start at Genoa, and he'd work all the way down the canal, and he'd just keep going until he could find where they were biting. May was the ebb. May was kind of like Mike's Aunt Blanche. She had these lips. She had a little puckery mouth. But when I knew them, they were older, pretty much retired all the time. She, and she wasn't, at that time, a beautiful person looking. She had these little tiny lips, and I don't know, it must have been something in that generation because they always wanted to kiss you. I mean, if you've never had an aunt like that, you've missed something in your life. Well, May was beyond pleasantly plump way beyond. She liked pie. <laughs> she really liked pie. Butterscotch pie. She'd say, it tasted, that one piece tasted so good, I sat down and ate the whole thing. <laughs> and when she'd hug you, it was like you felt you were going to get lost in there. <laughs> but everybody loved May. You, you just held on. You waited for the flow, you know. Because she was the sweetest person. She's the one that she would always schedule the TV repairman to come at 11.30 because she wanted to force him to stay and have lunch with her. And, and so Walt and May all the time I knew were, were retired most of the time. He farmed. They lived up northwest of Monroe, up, up in the hills. They lived all their, pretty much all their married life in the house she was born in. Um... She had geese, and if the geese had attacked her, she'd just reach out and snap their necks. And they were just, they were so cool. And he, yeah, they feed it to the TV repair. You never went there. You had to have lunch, a little lunch, like everything. But anyway, everybody called him Walt, but she called, she even talked slow. And she called him Walter. And she was a master crocheter and knitter she could figure out anything her work was beautiful but this is the ebb and flow of it Walt would get up about 6 or 6 30 in the morning and make a pot of coffee and pace through the house because he never sat still and drank the whole pot of coffee by then he made a second pot and then she got up and then they would eat maybe a dozen eggs and three or four pork chops and bacon and the whole thing and have a cup, another pot of coffee together. 
By then, it's about 9 o'clock in the morning, and this was the routine for years and years. And she'd say, now, Walter, it's time for you to go. Get out of here. And he, you had my dad's family, they never got their feelings hurt. It was just a joke. Everything was a joke to them. Anyway, so then he would, he was just waiting. I guarantee you, he was just waiting for her to say, get out of here. And he'd go to Genoa, he'd shoot a little pool. He'd, if the weather's nice, he'd fish his way to Monroe. Then he'd go and play some sheep head, drink another pot of coffee, and stop at the grocery store, pick up a few things for lunch, and... Or he'd go up to Bruckner's in Platt Center and pick up a few things there. And then he'd always stop at the Dairy Sweet in Monroe and harass Rose for about a half an hour and drink another pot of coffee. And you wonder why he was hyper all the time. And then, then he'd go home for a little lunch. And then they'd have a little lunch. And then he'd take a nap. And then he'd get up and she'd say, get out of here. Leave. Go. And you know what? When he was about 87 years old, he decided one day, he just pulled in the fishing lines up on the canal between Monroe and Genoa, and he laid the pole down, and he just went to sleep. They were 87 years old. They were married for 67 years plus. They always got along. There was never any need for marriage counseling. I can guarantee you they never went to the pastor and wanted help on the marriage. <laughs> that was, and they didn't see a psychologist, but this is what I read about a psychologist wrote about ebb and flow. It says, for every healthy relationship, there needs to be some t solitude and time apart. Solitude provides a deep grounding, a recharging. It provides clarity in the relationship. It helps to reconnect. It helps people from unconsciously getting carried away with the current. Or if you want to be biblical, solitude and time alone keeps you from following every wind of false doctrine. Walt may never probably ever heard that stuff. They just knew that for 67 years it worked for them. There was a time for them to be together and a time for them to be apart. There was an ebb and there was a flow for every relationship. You think of ebb as calmness, quietness, decrease and decline. Flow you think of as energy, spontaneity and activity. That's why I referred to Walt as flow and may is ab but people in today's culture are so afraid of solitude or so afraid of quietness or so afraid of sitting still and inactivity and being alone in fact a lot of times even churches maybe churches and ministers are the worst we associate these things with being backslidden with being non-productive and being unwilling to change. So I want to challenge you to th today. I want to challenge your thinking. Scott got me to thinking about this. He's our master resident diver or whatever. Ebb and flow. Flow is the wave motion that goes to the shore. And ebb is the wave motion that goes away from the shore. 
Now, we all love the flow. We love that action and that productivity and that flurry of going in. But we don't always so much like the ebb because we think that the flow is the productivity and, and the courage and the action and, and all these things. But let me ask you, which do you think really takes more strength which takes more energy, which takes more courage, which takes more effort. Because when you're in the ab, you've got to go against the current a little bit. It's a struggle. It's a fight to get out there. You go again, The ab goes against the gravitational force, against the current, and against the common and comfortableness of activity. Flow is just a byproduct of the accumulated energy from the ebb. It's kind of like, and I'm not a great scientist, but as in kinetic energy versus potential energy. Let me ask you this. Which action is moving forward, the ebb or the flow? We're always thinking the, the flow is the forward motion, but is it? It's the same thought as which comes first, the chicken or the egg. Which is the forward motion? The going to the shore or the going to the sea? If, if you're going to the shore, that's the forward motion, and we think of the ab as the backward motion, but it really isn't. It's the same difference of driving on 275 east to Omaha and then driving on... 275 west to Norfolk. You're going forward either way. There was a kid at Monroe, when I, he was a year older than me, and they lived two miles straight west on, on Highway 22. And he was full of it. And his, something happened to the transmission, and the forward went out. And his dad wasn't the kind to fix it for him. So he drove it in reverse everywhere he went for about two weeks. He'd get on Highway 22... And he'd go east to town going backwards all the way. But was he going backwards or he's going forward? He was going forward, but he was doing it backwards because the trunk was going first. But he was going that way. And he did it for about two weeks before they finally made him get it fixed. And he thought it was a hoot. But when we think about that, we, we think it was, you know, that's what I liked about Monroe. You know, I grew up, I never have to wonder if God can't save anybody. <laughs> you know, you don't have to be churchy for God to love you. If he could do it for me that grew up in Monroe, he can do it for anybody. Mr. Backward Forward got saved too one time. Anyway, we think about the, the wave and the flow as always the forward motion. But in reality, I think maybe the forward motion is the one that's going to the sea. Because really, the wave is just the byproduct of the ebb. Look at Job 38.
really, if you want to take the time, you can read 30, ver, uh, chapter 38, verses 4 through 11. I'm not going to read it all, uh, but let me tell you, Job had been through all his problems, and all his friends came, and they all tried to discuss whether it was God or whether it wasn't, and they had all these deep theological discussions, and then God steps in, and he starts telling them some things. And just in a condensed version, he told them, you're not as smart as you think you are. You don't know as much as you think you do. The world doesn't revolve around you. And in verse 11, he says, when I said this far, you may come, but no farther. And here, your proud waves must stop. In other words, when God made the beach, he made a place where the waves could go no further and they had to ebb. Do you see what I'm saying? God put a place where you go no further and you have to come back to him, to the sea. He made a place, we think of it as he made a place where the waves stop, but in reality, he made a place where the ebb begins. God makes a place where your proud waves must stop. I'm not talking about death. I'm talking like John the Baptist got this point. He says, I must decrease so he can increase. Less of me, more of God. Someone asked me a few weeks ago, why don't revivals just keep going? And I said, well, I gave what I thought, I think, this and this and this, but I really think this is the answer. God made a place where your proud waves have to stop. At some point, the flow has to turn into the ebb because without the ebb, there's no flow. Men like Kenneth Hagin and Oral Roberts went through three or four major revivals in their lives. They went through the healing revivals of the 40s, the charismatic revival of the 60s and 70s, the faith movement or revival or whatever you want to call that. And Hagin always talked about how men and women in ministries and churches missed the new wave of what God was doing. Because a lot of them that came through in denominations that were built out of the healing revivals of the 40s totally missed the charismatic revival of the 60s. And a lot of the charismatics of the 60s totally and adamantly were against the faith movement of the 80s and 90s. And Hagen talked about this a lot. He said, they missed out on the new wave of God because they wouldn't get off the last one. Do you know what kills revivals? I think it's when God is done with that wave and people keep trying to ride their surfboards in the sand. God works. You know, really ebb and flow is nothing more than the rhythm of life. And you realize nothing stops the waves from coming and God works in waves. And I was thinking, you know, I talked about body surfing. And when I was thinking about that, I was thinking about the little waves about this high. You'd go out and you'd catch a little wave this high. And the other night I got on the Internet and I watched a thing about the big wave surfers. And I've seen pictures and watched movies about the surfboarders that paddle out of the ocean, in the ocean from the beach 
and they catch the waves and they surf in. We've all seen this, but this was about, they called it big wave surfing. They didn't paddle out from the beach. They got in boats. They'd been watching the weather systems. They knew the times and the seasons, and they got in the boats, and they went way out. And they were surfing these waves that were 100-plus feet in the air. And I stop and think that's two, three waves, two, three times higher than this building. And they were surfing them. And I'm thinking little waves. You know, we always, we got to expand our thinking sometimes. And the one thing, as I listened to this, it was kind of a documentary on big, big wave surfing. The one thing that these surfers knew was they had to ride the ebb before they were going to catch the wave. And the one guy, he was like in second place in this competition, and then he went out and he he got panicky. He felt like he wasn't going to catch the right wave, so he jumped on the first one that came, and he missed the big one, the next one that came, and he, he lost the competition because he wasn't patient enough, and he knew he wasn't patient enough to wait for that real wave. Look at Matthew chapter 8. We'll finish up shortly here. Matthew chapter 8. Verses 18 through 26. And Jesus saw the great multitude about him, and he gave a command to depart to the other side. Here they were in the flow. The multitude was there, and he decided he was going into the ebb. They were going to go to the other side. Then a certain scribe came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. What he was saying is, I love the waves. I love the flow. And Jesus said, Foxes have holes. Birds have air, uh, birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He says, But will you follow me to the ebb? Then another of his disciples said, Lord, let me go f- First and bury my father, and Jesus says, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. We need, um, he let the, what he was saying there was, was it, you can't become an old wineskin. You can't become old and brittle and then expect the new wine in your life. We need new wineskins for new wine. Now, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, and the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And when his disciples came to him and awoke him, they said, Lord, save us, we are perishing. And we've all heard the sermons about how they were mad because he was sleeping. And essentially that was what it was. They were frustrated. It says, we are not moving forward. We need your help here. And he says, oh, you... Why are you so fearful, you of little faith? Then he arose, rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, Who can this be, even the winds and the sea obey him? Realize this, even the seas and the winds obey him. You want to be on the boat that he's on, and he's not nervous. They were nervous, he's not nervous. So here we are as a church. Here we are as part of the body of Christ. Pastors talked about revival for over a year. We've been through times where there's been a lot of activity. We've had a lot of attention through the years on children's ministry. 
We've put a lot of emphasis on youth ministry, what Shane was talking about this morning. We want to just we want to bless the youth of the community. We've sponsored big events and co- concerts. We caught the skateboarding wave with Eddie Alaguerra. We caught the concert wave with Skillet. We've raised money and done some impre- impressive things for a church our size. We've had a whole wonderful band up here to worship, and right now we just have Abe. <laughs> some of you are enjoying it. Some of you are going with the flow. We've cut services a little shorter than what they used to be, and we wear jeans. But some people, if you're not careful, at this point in time, you can get nervous. You can get a little agitated, about like the disciples on the boat. We just aren't doing enough. We just aren't doing it the way. There isn't quite the emphasis on 180 that we've always had on 180. Doesn't mean we don't love the youth. Doesn't mean we aren't interested in the kids. Doesn't mean that worship is important and that we hate drummers. This is what the point we got to get. The flow comes from the ebb. The ebb is not weakness. It's not inactive. And if you don't have enough courage to live through the ebb, you will never be a part of the next big wave. And I believe this with all of my heart. I believe, I believe that there is a wave coming, and it's not a little body surfer. It's a big out-in-the-ocean wave. God's going to move, and God's going to have his say, and it's going to be glorious. And the church, not just this church, but the church, you can have these big telemarketers, evangelists, blowing a lot of smoke and trying to get your money because they say, oh, God's doing big things. The church in the United States in the last 10, 15, 20 years has been in an ebb. I don't care who you are, and I don't care what you say. But the reason I think that there's been this long ebb is because there's a big wave. But the thing is, you can't get nervous in the ebb. You've got to ride the ebb just as much as you ride the wave. You know, I really don't care what they're doing in Tulsa. I don't care what they're doing in the first church up the street. There's a real danger in watching everyone around you so much that you miss what God's doing. And I, I, I think also that there's little waves that they're starting to break. But I don't think it's the big wave yet. And the thing is, waves are waves but they break differently in Hawaii than they do in Los Angeles and at different times. And we've got to hit the wave for here. I want us to catch our wave. I'm not nervous about missing the next wave of God. We'll get it. We'll get it. Unless we are nervously, guiltily, busily, or arrogantly riding out some wave on the sand. We have to be willing to change. Change, I mean, God doesn't change, but he understands 
that life changes, methods change. We have to change. There are things in my life I'm never going to change. Kenny knows I don't like Leonardo DiCaprio. He heard that. I don't particularly care for Justin Bieber. I know Carl does, though. He told me one time he liked Bieber. Do you remember that? (laughs) I remember. But the thing is, I like Carl enough, I respect him enough, I can make room for him, even if he likes Bieber. Okay? There are things, the older generation, they're never going to like like themselves what the younger generation's like. But the one thing about the older people in this church they've always made room for you. And we have to be careful that we always make, you know, the 20s and 30-year-olds, you got to make room for the, you know, the younger ones, the teenagers. You have to change. You might not like their music, but you got to make room for it. You might not like the way they dress so much, you know. Yeah, Kenny doesn't like the drummers. Some people hate long hair. I like long hair. I hate shaved, bald-headed. I, yeah, I, but I got to make room for those. I know, we got to make room for Mike now. <laughs> and Keys. You know, you got to make room for other people. That's what change is about. Change sometimes isn't so much about changing everybody around you. It's about changing you. I'm not going to read Matthew 9. You can read Matthew 9 sometime. But basically it's talking about the disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, you're not doing it the way John the Baptist did it. They wanted Jesus to keep riding John the Baptist's wave. And Jesus wouldn't do it. He knew that something new was coming, something different was coming, and something bigger and better was coming. Right now, we are in a place where an inward work must take place in our hearts individually and as a church body before an outward movement can progress, at least a real God outward movement. And I don't, I, I'm in the point of my life, I don't want the superficial things. I don't care about the outward things. I want the real thing. Some of us are, some people are riding the waves pretty well. Some of you want the outward change so much that you're resisting to take time for the inward change. There will never be any strength, momentum, or flow if you don't take time for the ebb. And this is the thing. And this is what we talked about with military mentality about not shooting your wounded. Sometimes you have to allow the other person to have the time for their ebb. You know what I'm saying? We're not always honest, but sometimes, and it's, if you think it's hard waiting for your ebb, try waiting for somebody else. But we have to do it. There are people, everybody here is going to go through waves and ebbs. We were coming to church today, we were coming down Logan, and we met this old duffer. And he was going so slow, and he wouldn't get out of his way. And for a block and a half, I listened to them too. 
moan and groan about when you're retired, you should just give up your driver's license. <laughs> so then we came out here, we turned the corner, and as we turned the corner, we got behind a car, and this car was going so slow that I'm going, yeah. It was Holly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so see the young people always try to give the old people advice but sometimes they don't realize you know the young people go slow too you need, see, there still needs to be an ebb in your flow when you're young sometimes you just need to sit down you need to shut up that's what I tell him and make opportunity for God to do what he needs to do in your life. And you need to take time, sit down, shut up, and make opportunity to let God do what he needs to do in somebody else's life. Just let God be God sometimes. Sometimes we're too much of a hurry to try to fix everybody. And I've come to the realization I really can't fix anybody. But God can. And I know you you just can't fix me. I'm too stubborn. I'm too, you know, whatever. But God can if I sit down and shut up long enough. Yes, there's a time for people to get involved. Yes, we're still going to have youth. We're still going to have children's church. Yes, we still need people to help us do those things. But the change God is interested in right now is not a Mars bar for a Snickers bar as Jeff Tadlock used to say, or a Tuesday night for a Wednesday night. I'm talking about real change, inward change, God change, ebb change. Some people sometimes need to get it through their thick skulls that rest and relaxation time is not sin. Relaxing and having fun is an avenue that God created to refresh you. And if you will not allow God to refresh you, you will become that hard and brittle old wineskin. There was an old saying years and years ago, long before our time, and it says, time and tide waits for no man. And what it was referring to was in the days of traveling by ship, it meant that the departure time of the ship were determined by the tides. And they, they weren't going to wait for you. When the tide was ready to go, the ship was going. And if you were off busily involved in some other activity, the ship had no choice but to leave without you. Trust me, more people miss the ship by being out there doing something in busyness than they ever did by sitting by the dock waiting for the ship. I'm not worried about missing the next wave of God as... I'm willing to sit still and wait for God. I'm interested in catching the ab. I may not be a great marketer. We're not great at promoting ourselves. We don't have the biggest church in the country. But the one thing I know is some of the hardest ebb times in my life have led to some of the best flow times in my life. And that you can't have catch the good wave without 
hitting the one that's going forward out to God. And so, you know, I don't think right now is a time to get nervous. I don't think it's a time to look for a lot of things to do. I think if we be still and know that God is God, he's going to get us where we need to go at the right time. And I'm not saying sitting out there and fighting the current for eternity because we don't want to change. I'm saying there's always a flow, and you can't have the ebb without the flow, and you can't have the flow without the ebb. But take time. Hear from God. Be still. And if you are in a time, obviously there were. There's a, it's a struggle season. Don't panic. If there, you need to make a few changes, get with God, and he'll let you know. Usually they're not as laborious as you think if you let God be God. And know that, you know, the ebb is going to turn into the flow. You know, so don't sweat it. God's still on the throne. His throne isn't in Tulsa. It isn't in Washington, D.C. God's throne is in heaven, and he knows where each one of us are at. And if we'll just not be afraid of getting still, not being afraid of a little inactivity, if we're not afraid of swimming into the current a little bit against that comfortable, he'll get us where we need to be.